Habakkuk 1.12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook, and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For them, he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is it then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Most sovereign God, we bow in humble adoration before you. You are a God who is righteous. You are a God who is holy. You are a God who always does what is right. Father, but you are a God who is also gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're a God who forgives. You're a God who gives grace. You're a God who is merciful. Father, we need you this morning. The worries and the burdens of last week and the fears and the agenda of next week weigh heavy on our mind. They distract us from hearing your word. Father, we need you. You are our only hope in life and death. We belong to you. You are our Father. These are our brothers and sisters. We thank you that you did not leave us in the just deserts of the darkness of our sin, but you stepped out into the darkness with the light of light. You shine the path that leads us back to yourself. Father, we thank you for Christ, truly God and truly man, our Redeemer, our only hope, the only name given among men whereby we can be saved. Father, we pray. We pray this morning is an earnest as we have all week for the Moon family. As they grieve, Father, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. In the midst of tears, in the midst of sorrows, that the hope of the gospel would be what clings to them 
as the rain comes down and the floods come up. Father, may they trust you. For those in the family who do not know you, may they hear your gospel and consider their mortality and their sin and turn to the free grace that is found in Christ and put their faith in him. Father, we pray for our congregation, for our people, for this little flock, this little family that you have given us, Father. I pray that we be careful to love one another well, to be attentive, to pour our hearts and our lives into one another, that we may know Christ better because of the Jesus in the hearts of our brothers and sisters, and that they may know Jesus because, uh, better because of the faith in Christ that is in our hearts. Father, I pray that as we open up these words this morning, Habakkuk, these dark and strange words, that we would humbly fall before our sovereign God in faith and cry out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheek among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. These are the words of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations as he surveys the once great city of Jerusalem that now lay in rubble. The walls are broken down. The temple of Solomon that was once great and mighty and majestic in the very presence of God once dwelt in the temple has now been torn down. There are only stray animals and a few of the poor who have been left behind. And he weeps because the promise of God in Habakkuk 1.5 has been realized. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nations. Sometimes the Old Testament prophets are very foreign and they're very strange. And we don't know when we read such words, we don't know the emotion, we don't know the context. I'm trying to give you an idea of the very thing Habakkuk saw ahead of time and Jeremiah recounted as he left the city and watched 
probably the closest thing to most of us who are probably 20 years or older can remember is September 11th, 2001. Anna was just three months old. Most of you in high school don't even remember this because you weren't alive. But I imagine every single one of us remember the moment when we saw and heard September 11th for the first time. I want you to remember what those feelings were like. Maybe you were horrified. Maybe when you looked at the news coverage, you were terrified and scared. Maybe as you surveyed and looked and saw the pictures of both in Washington and a field in Pennsylvania and in the Trade Center, you looked at it and you were heartbroken because of your country. Some of you maybe who are from New York or have family in New York, those are your city and your people, and you begin to feel the essence of the words of Jeremiah, and you begin to feel the the sheer terror that Habakkuk saw because Habakkuk was given a glimpse of what was coming, and he cried out, I don't like it. Habakkuk could not wrap his mind around what God was revealing to him. And as we read these words, we realize he didn't like the providence hand of God, and he didn't approve what God was doing. Ocean Park, you may have in your life been where Habakkuk stood. You don't understand what God is doing. You look at the brokenness and the injustice of this world, and as as our Sunday school this morning talked about, relationships that are designed are, are defined as separated and torn apart. And you look at the world and say, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how the preachers on TV have been selling Christianity for all these years. And then you read the word of God and these prophets and you say, they don't go together. And it may be because your knowledge and your understanding of the character of God is based on what you want God to be like rather than what, how God has revealed himself in Scripture. But as we stand and we look at images like this and then the, uh, the things and the struggles that each one of us uh, go through and the questions we have, we say, why do God's people suffer persecution? Why did you allow our child to die? Why can't I have children? Why does my spouse have cancer? Why can't I ever get a break and get ahead? Why can't I find a job? Why do I feel so much pain? When we read these texts, we realize that God in His grace and His mercy can handle our questions. The question is, can we handle God's answers? I want you to know this morning as I work through this, this is a heavy, heavy task. And I told Denise much this week, I am not sufficient for things such as this, but the Holy Spirit is sufficient. But when you don't understand the plan of God, trust the faithfulness of God. When you don't understand the plan of God, trust the, uh, the faithfulness of God. How do you do that? Well, you watch and you wait, one twelve to two one, and you trust God's promises, and that's two two through two five. Last week, for those of you who are here or those of you who went back and listened to it, 
um, you realize that Habakkuk looks back and he surveys the, the city and he comes to God. Rather than like Jeremiah who preached out against the people, Habakkuk comes to God and says, what is going on? Don't you see this, what's happening here? Why won't you do something about the violence and do something about the destruction and the wickedness that's here? And God looks and reveals to Habakkuk, he says, I am going to do something. I am bringing the Chaldeans, as we know in Sunday school, the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming and they will bring them, they will wipe out the city and bring the city into exile and the people. And then Habakkuk looks at heaven and cries out, I don't like that. You're not allowed to do that. You can't do that, God. See, Habakkuk's first complaint was that he misunderstood what God was doing. He couldn't see. He couldn't see the hand of God. But now, God reveals Himself, and Habakkuk didn't approve what the hand of God was about to do. You see, he couldn't reconcile the character of God that he knew it as a prophet, as a man of Scripture, and he couldn't reconcile the character of God with the actions of God. He couldn't make sense of God's nature and his actions. Therefore, he cries out to God and he waits for an answer. Many of us, Ocean Park, and I'm not, probably all of you are thinking of scenarios that you struggle with this week and this month in your life, that pain and difficulty and suffering that you've had, and you have been grappling with those same things and trusting, trying to trust the wisdom of God, but saying, I don't see how this is good. I don't see how you are working all things according to the purpose of your will, working all things from our good because this isn't good. And God, in his infinite wisdom and his compassion, he answers Habakkuk because he remembers that Habakkuk is dust and that he is frail and his understanding is finite and his faith is small. And God, as a good father, has compassion on his children. And he says to his people and he says to you and I this morning, watch and wait. Watch. And wait. See, the first thing in uh, Habakkuk's stages of grief, if you will, was in verse 12, in the first half of verse 12, he remembered the character of God. Notice, uh, he's, and he, all these questions are starting to swirl in his head. How can God's people trust him if the, Chalde uh, the Chaldeans conquered Judah? How can God stand idly while the wicked swallow up the righteous? How will God's reputation endure if his people are drug off to, into captivity? Habakkuk's faith was shaken to the core in the midst of this uh, crisis in his life. And probably many of you have gone through crises like that. Great moving where the very foundation of everything you know about God has shaken to you to the core and you are not okay. You have more questions than you have answers. How could an eternal holy God allow idolatrous band of mercenaries to conquer the city of David, the man after God's own heart, who God himself promised that a descendant of David would sit on that throne? How is that going to happen if the Chaldeans wipe away the city? 
See, Habakkuk felt like the medicine for the, um, for the violence and injustice in Judah was far worse than the sickness that existed in the city. Habakkuk has, he's shaken to the core and he reaches out for something and look what he finds. He finds the very character of God and he clings to it. Verse 12a, are you not from everlasting, O God, O Lord my God, my holy God? We shall not die. It's as if Habakkuk in his prayers is trying to remind God of his very character and remind God of the promises that God has given him. He could hardly breathe as I read this. Imagine he could hardly breathe as he cried out to God. This is not the way an all-powerful God is supposed to be acting. You've promised that your people will be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to die. Don't you understand? You promised. And he cries out to God. When everything beneath him is like quicksand, it is the character and the promises of God that hold his feet strong. As the psalmist in Psalm 18.31 said himself, for who is God but the Lord? Who is what? A rock. Except our God. We teach the children, the man who built his house on the rock is wise. The wise man built his house on the rock. Because when the rain comes and the storms blow and the waters rise, what happens to the house that's built on the rock? It stands firm. But often the people inside are scared. You ever try to ride out a hurricane? One, that's a bad idea, especially if you live at the beach. But when the, the very uh, wind is whistling through your house and you feel things shaken and the power goes out and you fear, you genuinely fear, you pray that you have a foundation that is sure and strong that you will not move. And that is what Habakkuk found. Only when his feet are secure on the rock could Habakkuk begin to breathe again. Not only does he remember the character of God, but he recognizes the sovereignty of God. In the midst of his confusion in the latter half of verse 12b, in the midst of confusion and fear and heartbreak, Habakkuk finds hope. He accepts God's word and God's promise of bringing the Chaldeans as punishment for the wicked. Notice what he says in the end of half of uh, 12b. O Lord, you have ordained them, the Chaldeans' arrival, as judgments. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He realized that the promises curse of the law that we saw last week in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and chapter 29 that God warned them about and reminded them about and sent prophets who, who chided them and encouraged them and, and wooed them. That was ignored over and over and over of God. And the people did not listen and finally the long suffering of God had come to an end and God was bringing the judgment that the people deserved. And as Habakkuk watched in the horizon as the Chaldean army come, the dust from the hoofs of their army came, 
Habakkuk realized, I stand on the rock and the judgment is coming and this is all that I can do. Habakkuk recognizes that when he felt like the idolatrous Chaldeans were victorious over Yahweh, they were not. In reality, they were instruments of God to discipline his people. But, as we will see in a few weeks, the Chaldeans themselves would answer for their wickedness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He remembers the character of God. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. And then he remonstrates with God. And no, I did not come up with the word myself. It was in the commentary and it went with the two R's before. And as a good Baptist preacher, you have to have some good alliteration in there. But to remonstrate, and I I tried to go to thesaurus.com and find another R word that people actually use, but to remonstrate is to plead in protest, to object, and to disapprove. And Habakkuk did not like the vision that he was given. And he protested against God because he could not comprehend what possibly God was doing. Notice verse 13. You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man that is more righteous than he? Habakkuk knew that careful human beings in the Old Testament who took seriously the Old Testament laws would never risk becoming unclean by coming in contact with death and disease and perversion. How could God then? How could God have any association whatsoever with the Chaldeans? And he cries out to God in verse 13, You who cannot look at the wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? What are you doing? This is is a moment of raw honesty to Habakkuk. Because he knew his covenant God had given him promises. And rather than act like everything was okay and smile and claim my best life now, he went directly to his God and he cried out, I don't understand. What are you doing? He says, the Chaldeans are like fishermen who snatch up fish out of the water. Notice verse 17. Uh, and and, and it, uh, 13 through 15 talks about just this, this ferociousness of the people. And then he says, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And he says, are you just going to let them go through and just wipe everybody out? Judah and who's next? What other people are next? See, because he protested because he did not understand what God was doing and his character. How can you look at the treacherous Chaldeans and just shrug your shoulders? How are you not, you're not supposed to be acting like this. You're, are, how long are you going to let this go on? Is it going to go on forever? He couldn't square his understanding of the character of God with the unfolding of God's plan. And therefore he cried out, I just don't understand. I do not like this. I promise you, Ocean Park, if you haven't already, I remember Denise and I sailed through our 20s. It was great. But when we started to get in the 30s, the wheels began to fall off. And these crises of faith that we, we, we met all came, and they will come, whether it be when you are young or when you are old. 
you will experience when the character and your understanding of the character of God come and your experience collide, what happens? This may happen in the oncologist's office. This may happen when you're a defendant unduly accused in the courtroom. This may happen at the graveside of a loved one. This may happen when the state trooper rings your doorbell. There will be a day when the foundations of your life shake and you don't have an answer. And like the weary prophet Habakkuk, you cry out, I do not understand. I do not like this. How could this possibly be? And some of you, I know your stories and I know you have been there. You have tasted the bitterness of the tears. And you don't have the answers. But you call out to the one who does. I pray that you will respond like Habakkuk did. Who committed, I will watch and I will wait. In our day and age, when we want instant gratification and instant satisfaction, we want free Wi-Fi, we want fast phones, we want it all, and we want it now. Waiting is so difficult. But Habakkuk did not call out to God in bitter cynicism, how I could never believe in a God who would do this. But he laid his heart bare and he was honest with his questions. And notice chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower like a sentry who watches for, uh, for armies that are coming so that he may sound the alarm. Habakkuk stands and waits for his sovereign God to rise with an answer. And he says, and look to see what he will say to me and what he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk, in the midst of great sorrow and earth-shattering uh, questions, he does not look to heaven and curse. He does not look with a heart that refuses to believe, but he cries out to, uh, to his covenant God with a belief that refuses to deny. He watches and he waits. Through the, when the tears are, com, or tears are many and the comforts few, he watches and he waits. When the circumstances are bitter, he watches and he waits. When his mind is confused and his heart is fearful, he watches and he waits. Hymn writer William Cooper or Cowper struggled his whole life with depression. With broken engagements and, uh, and heartache, he wrote the song where he will sing in a little bit called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. It testifies to the struggle of those who stand on the ramparts and watch a sovereign God and they simply do not understand. He writes this, he said, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. When a God puts his footsteps in the sea, you cannot see where his feet are going and you are left to wonder where he is walking. He puts his footsteps in the sea and plants and rides on the storm deep in his dark and hidden minds with never failing skill. He fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. We don't know. 
When the day comes that God works in mysterious ways because our finite understanding and our finite mind just doesn't have an answer. The only thing we can do is watch and wait. For Ocean Park, when you don't understand the plan of God, trust the faithfulness of God. Stand before the ramparts and watch for your covenant God. Watch and wait and then trust the promises of God. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. God is about in his mercy and grace to answer Habakkuk. He will answer decisively and he will leave no doubt. In the meantime, God calls all people to live in two ways. To live by his word and to live by faith. He calls, in verse 2 and 3, to live by His Word. The Lord answers Habakkuk, and by answering Habakkuk, He answers all His people. For the last three millenniums who have had the the opportunity to read these words, He says in verse 2, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that He may run who reads it. God intended that his vision, his revelation of his heart and his character and what he's doing would be clearly written and that it would be posted in such a way that people when they're passing by would immediately be able to see and hear and know clearly the word of God. Why? Why did it have to be written? Why did it have to be posted? Because the human heart is quick to forget. What is, the, what is the reminder that we have so much? Remember. We carve it in the communion table because we remember the work of Christ in redeeming us from our sin. Because if when we forget, we twist the Word of God, we confuse the Word of God, we amend the Word of God to our own fancies and our own desires and our own likings. The stakes are too high to obscure the Word of God. There are too many people who need to know the promises of God. But God in His revelation says, reminds us that even though the words are clear and they are spread abroad, our hearts are fickle and they will lose confidence in the promises of God. Because when God does things that we don't like, and He doesn't meet our expectations, we grow discouraged and we get disenfranchised. We doubt His Word, we question His character, and we lose confidence in His ability to provide for us. Notice verse 3. God's vision comes, but it's not on our terms. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the day. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It surely will come. It will not delay. God will accomplish His end, His desired means, and His goals, even though we don't understand and we're tired of waiting. Spurgeon said it this way, and I love how he puts this. You may say the life of faith is hard. This hanging on so long, almost by one's eyelashes. Will it not soon come to an end, come 60 and 70 and 80 years of waiting on the promises of God? The end will come at the right time. God is never before his time. 
God is never too late. Even though we don't understand because we don't have all the information, we don't understand what God is doing, we think God is late. But what is the vision? What is the vision that God, that God gives Habakkuk? I want you to notice in verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters covers the sea. Brothers and sisters, God's purposes will be done. His kingdom will be established on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom where all tears will be wiped away and death and Hades and sin will be no more. A kingdom with no mourning and crying or pain because God dwells in harmony with His people. A, a place and a kingdom where sin cannot come in and steal and destroy and, and kill. We long for that day when we taste the bitterness and the disappointment and the, the unanswered questions of this life and we cry out with the psalmist, blessed be his glorious name, his reputation forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. We're called to live by the Word of God and know the Word of God and trust the Word of God. And we're called to live by faith. There are two ways to live in response to the Word of God. You either live by pride or you live by faith. Those who trust God's promises live by faith for the glory of God, that the glory of God may be seen in them and through them, and that the glory of God may be brought into the ends of the earth. Those who reject God's promises or spur His word are puffed up with pride and they live for their own glory. Notice the beginning of verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is, uh, it is not upright within him. See, the person who denies the Word of God and denies the promises of the victory of God allows pride free reign in their heart. Pride that comes in and, like, and distorts their view of reality. It, it throws them out of balance and alignment and it does not allow them to properly perceive the things of this world. Pride judges God and condemns God. Pride refuses God's sovereign rule and refuses to believe God or obey God to their own detriment. Pride begins to swell that person up and make them vulnerable. F.F. F. Bruce said it this way, there are those whose heart is not right in relation to God because they are not aligning themselves coming under the authority of the Word of God. Instead of trusting in Him, they hold aloof a spirit of self-sufficiency. I am the master of the, my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Trusting in themselves. Their souls are inflated. They lack either substance or stability. And one pinprick, one crisis, one question will make them collapse. The soul that's unfettered from the Word of God becomes puffed up and blinded and greedy. 
For they do not believe the promises of God, but they believe what their eyes can see and what their hands can touch and what their minds can reason. But you notice the latter half of verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the confidence in the trustworthiness of our God. Faith is not a, a fancy. Faith is not just a, woo, I have faith. Believe in yourself. Yay. Go team. Faith is saying, I have measured the cost. I understand the character of God and I have heard his promises and I believe him. Faith has the steadfast assurance that God is good and His promises of truth. Therefore, the person who has faith does not judge what their, by their, what their eyes can see or what their hands can touch. They trust the steadfast character and faithfulness of their covenant God. Those who live by faith are confident that God is working in us and through us to accomplish His purposes and even though they don't understand and they can't see, all life looks like is like the back of a tapestry which is a gnarled, mangled mess of thread. They don't see what the master artisan is weaving on the other side because their view is limited, but they trust that God is not a novice. He knows what he's doing. For the original readers of this text, when they hear the words of Habakkuk, they had to believe the words of Habakkuk that Yahweh was about to send them into exile. These were the people who had to sing the songs of Jerusalem by the banks of the Babylonian river. These were the people that sat in exile for 70 long years as their impoverished homeland sat in ruins and they were faithful. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they trusted the promises of God even when the king says, if you do that, I throw you into the fire. And they said, I trust our God. You can kill us we will still trust in Him. Living by faith means trusting God even when you don't understand what God is doing. Living by faith now in this 21st century world leaves, means that believing God's Word concerning Jesus Christ, the Word made fresh, flesh, because God so loved the world that He sent Jesus Christ to be an atoning sacrifice, to obey on our behalf, and to die and take our punishment on our behalf. And those who say, I believe the promises of God that Christ lived and He died and He rose again for me, and I can now stand before God, I believe the Word of God by faith. We live by faith when we assemble together and we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs in a world that is not our own, but we are elect exiles, as Peter says. Where we endure persecution and hardship as we wait for the return of our Lord who will make all things right. It's the very words 
that Andrew read to us this morning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith says, if God has spoken anything, it's true. And if God says it, it will be fulfilled. I will wait. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 1007. Uh, if you still aren't sure, you can go in the, in the index, in the index in the front. It's in the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through the New Testament. You can find the page number and go there. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 10, excuse me, verse 32. But recall the former days. After you were enlightened, you endured hard sufferings hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. They didn't understand why am I following Jesus, the great joy of our soul, but we are being flogged and beaten and imprisoned. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Joyfully accepted it. And you joy, um, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have a need of endurance, for that you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. The coming day will come and not delay. Words of Habakkuk echoing through the apostles, preaching and glorifying Jesus, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back in pride, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And you know the rest of the story as time and time again it says, by faith. See, the Hebrew Christians are being forced to endure what they cannot understand. Their, their following Jesus is not about their best life now, but following Jesus is hard. They're persecuted, they're stolen from, they're imprisoned, they're mocked, they're flogged, they're stoned, they're sawn in two, they're reproached, they're murdered, they're destitute, they're afflicted and mistreated much like all of our brothers and sisters throughout the rest of the world, we have a little pocket that we are not being persecuted yet. But their confidence is not what they could see or what they could get out of God as some cosmic genie or royal butler, but what their hope was in Christ, what God was doing. I am sure of this. This is the promise that they clung to, that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation, including physical death itself, 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe this? There are times when trusting God is easy. Days when the path is bright and beautiful, warm, and the, um, the uh, companions are encouraging. Your feet are light and your back is strong. Cherish those days. There are also days when trusting in the promises of God is excruciating. Days when the path to glory is filled with doubt and discouragement. Your feet are heavy and your back is tired. Do not give up. The promises of God are too good and too, too true to pass. Cowper continues, says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage trake. The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Until Christ returns, brothers and sisters, trust his word and live by faith. Even when you don't understand the plan of God, trust the faithfulness of our God. This week... As a pastor, this verse, this sermon was for me. It was a balm to my soul. As a pastor, it is my privilege to often shepherd you through difficulties and times of trouble and heartbreak and, and, and try to point you to Jesus when you don't have any answers and I don't have any answers. I tell you this, when you go and you watch a, a man that you love and you respect battle of nasty vicious cancer you don't have answers you have faith in a god who is good when you lay sit by the bed of a woman who is struggling with discouragement because her feet don't work you don't have answers all you can do is point them towards faith in god when you Stand beside a mother who weeps over the body of her daughter who is deceased. You don't have answers. All you can do is point them in faith. And I repeat it in my mind over and over and over. The righteous shall live by faith. That's all I have. When the mountains are high and the view is gorgeous, the righteous live by faith. And when you walk through the valley and your mouth is parched and your mind is, uh, is confused and you don't have any answers, the righteous shall live by faith. When the answers are not enough, faith in God is always enough. Faith reminds ourselves, I trust the promises of God even though I don't understand and my heart is broken. I trust you, God. God works in mysterious ways, his wonder to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides 
upon the storm. But the promises of God, is there a day when your faith will be made sight and your hope will be realized? All the worries and all the pain and all the heartbreak will be faded, forgotten memories in the tapestry of grace that God is weaving in and through you and making much of Himself and giving Him glory. And in doing so, you find infinite joy, not because of what you get out of God, but because what God gives you, because He gives you Himself. And that is all we need. That is the Gospel. And until that glorious day comes, when you don't understand the plan of God, trust the faithfulness of God.